the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. One of the things that fascinates me is, uh, I was guess what you would refer to as financial knowledge, financial information. And there's a lot of it out there that you need to know. And I don't know when we start learning it because I, I spoke at a college. And I could tell you that it's not learned immediately. It's not learned in high school. It's not learned in college. So I guess a lot of it starts to, to dawn on you as you get through those working years and you start hearing coworkers talk about things. There's a lot of basics that you need to know, and it, it, it would be very helpful if we had a guide to uh, show us the way, so to speak. I think uh, from talking to college kids, I was surprised by their lack of knowledge. And that's, that's a good thing. That's actually a really good thing because it, it makes me stop and think, like, uh, know your audience, so to speak. Know that you work from age 20 to 65 is what I would tell a college graduate today. I told a college graduate yesterday and know that when you're at 65 years old and you retire, that you're going to run into situations of needing money, that money's no longer coming in. You live off your savings from age 65 on and social security will be just enough to kind of handle your uh, medical costs. If that you need $1 million by the time you retire to get $40,000 a year to live on. So work with that for just a second. So you work from age 20 to 65 and that's it. So if you're 30 and you haven't saved, you've thrown away 10 years of your working life. You need $1 million by the time you retire to get you $40,000 a year of income. What's your budget right now? Are you at $40,000 a year? If not, you need more. Because you're going to live probably till 85, 86, 87. So what's, how, how do you get people started on knowledge? And you kind of like, you kind of keep it simple, stupid right off the bat. I mean, you have to, um, you got to set some priorities and I think your twenties are your throwaway years and I'm okay. If you were to say, Rob, I'm going to say very, very little in my twenties. I'm going to experience some of the world because when you get to college, the first thing you do, you kind of experience the world without mom and dad. And when you're done with college, suddenly you're experiencing the world without, you know, professors and schedules. So to me, the first step is often the hardest. It's achieving your financial goals, deciding what to pursue. So paying off debt, a lot of kids come out of college, college debt, saving for retirement, investing. Um, you got to figure out what your priorities are. Some of your priorities might be retirement. You want to fund a retirement. You want to fund form enough money for a house. You want to fund enough money for a kid. How much does a kid cost? How much kid, a kid cost a kid if a kid costs? No. Um, $250,000 right now. If you have from age zero to uh, uh, 17, that's roughly but you'll find that like you know, ski lessons and things along those lines might kick that number up a little bit higher. Um, you got to know full well what your plans and goals are. And it's, it's really non-negotiable not knowing. 
you have to be able to write down your five goals, your priorities. Um, again, a house, let's say that's Bay Area, that's probably going to cost you about a million dollars. Uh, 600000 to a million dollars. Um, you have to write down retirement, you need a million dollars. So just those two things right there are going to cost you $2 million, right? A house in the Bay Area plus retirement. But you're not going to retire in the Bay Area on $40,000 a year. So you're going to have to up that number up to $2 million or $3 million to get you to that budget of $120,000 a year in income retirement. So you can already say, I just spent $4 million of yours. So and how much do you earn? Let's say you make $100,000 a year for 40 years, $4 million. But you have to pay for rent. You have to pay taxes. So that's where it starts to become very, very tricky. So you get your goals. Let's just say it's a million dollars for a house and a million dollars for retirement. And you got to make a budget on it. How much are you going to need to save in order to get to where you need to get to? So a million dollars is in your 20s, 167 bucks a month saved and investing. So... A good way to get control of your budget is go to mint.com, M-I-N-T.com, and see what you're spending money on. Um, it's budgeting software. You have to put in your bank account and a couple other things, and that may freak you out. I get it. Um, it doesn't freak me out because I have to live life. Um, I think it's important that you have a bank. That's what something I would tell uh, a college kid today. Uh, banks are you know, part of your credit history. Banks show, you know, some sort of stability. How long have you had money in the bank? Have you ever had to, like, empty the bank account? Um, so it starts your credit report right there. So I think having a bank is a great thing. You could use, if you want, um, a credit union. So if your mom was a teacher or something along those lines. My dad was in the military, so I could use uh, USAA. Um, but also I could use Pentagon Federal Credit Union, which I've had for, I've had that account for 40-plus years. My parents opened it for me when I was born. You want to learn next lesson is some of the basics of investing. Money doubles every 7.2 years. Historically, the stocks are going to get you somewhere between 7 and 10%. Um, bonds are going to get you 6%, and real estate's going to get you 5%. Now, California real estate's been a little bit different, but when California real estate charges ahead, don't you think that there could be a, a lull coming down the road? Um, I have a friend who makes $300 plus thousand dollars and... He's leaving the Bay Area because it's too expensive for him. He thinks it's rat race, and I, I totally agree with him. Um, so for someone to buy his house, it's going to take a salary of easily $500,000. He's got almost a $2 million home. Um, how many people have that kind of salaries? I, I, I think that's worthy of note. Stop and breathe and go, and how many people make that kind of money? Who are these people who make that kind of money? So money doubles every 7.2 years. Uh, inflation is the boogeyman. You can't keep your money in the bank because if you have $100,000 sitting around, it's worth less money every single year because inflation is out there eroding the value of the dollar. Inflation means stuff that you pay for. Um, groceries. They're more expensive every single year. And it's kind of funny because you, you'll go through years where you don't buy a lot of groceries, where you're kind of like just getting just the minimum. And then there's some years where you're like, oh, I'm going to go fat this year. I'm going to get some new mustard. I'm going to get some new some hot sauce. And you look at your bag and it's like four bags or 180 bucks. You're like, whoa. So the best way to invest and try to go for that 10% return is through your 401k, uh, your 403b, your 457. 
because a dollar right now, when you earn a dollar, uh, 10% of that goes to state income, 10% of it goes to state, state sales tax, roughly, uh, 25% goes to the government. So right there, that's 25, 35, 45% of your money's gone. So you only have 55 cents left of it. Part of it goes to social security. So, wow, now you've spent almost half of it. Um, and then you get into, you know, other things, property taxes. I mean, the taxes are crazy. It's, it almost makes you want to go buy some tea and throw it in the harbor. So you have to get in your 401k some large cap exposure, some mid cap exposure, some small cap exposure, all in two varieties, growth and value, and some international exposure and some sort of income exposure. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show. We're talking about what we would tell a college kid because they really don't have a, a huge knowledge base on finances. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Have you ever had a relationship? I'm talking with Tony from BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's my mortgage guy. Hi, Rob. Hello. How are you? I'm well. So the fact that I made more money this year than last year, that'll help me get a mortgage in the future. Probably, right? Yeah. So, But also I have more debt, which I got to imagine that plays into a part of it. It certainly does. Um, I know some people who have had relationships in their life end, some of them tragically, some of them normally, some of them because they had low self-esteem. And I always go back to some of those and uh, how different your life would have been had you married... Uh, at one point in time, you were dating a woman named Priscilla. Mm-hmm. At one time, when I was dating Juliet, and she goes on to basically start her own company. I go on to start my own company. That's what destroyed our relationship. But a lot of people get into financial relationships with someone. Well, they get into relationships with someone, and it's not. Sometimes it's not just love that plays into the relationship. It's finances and the ability to be honest with someone. You know, on what you're thinking and how you're going to get there. Um, I know someone that had really self bad self esteem and. Basically, I got into a four or five year marriage that took four or five years away from her career, took four or five years away from saving money for a house, took four or five years away from. And I don't think that's something a lot of people look at. I would imagine the people that you come across in the world have known each other for 10, 15 years. They've been saving money together. They've been building their careers together. Um, uh, I see all all of it, Rob. Do you? Um, I'm actually working with a client right now who. Um, the they're, they're not even engaged just boyfriend girlfriend okay. uh, parents from both sides are helping them buy a million dollar house um they both have decent incomes not re- great incomes but decent incomes and they qualify for a certain mortgage and their family's going to help them out and buy in the peninsula um but i also see the families who have been I work, I'm working with a client who's been renting for 20 years and has finally saved enough money to buy $600,000. Um, and he had to buy and, uh, or save enough money. So, so that plus his mortgage, which he qualifies for equals the purchase price. So I work with all types of people, but that's one of the things I didn't really expect getting into the mortgage business is to run across all the ups and downs and different scenarios. And yeah. a, lot, a lot of don't do this. You know, what, what did you do wrong? And it's kind of helped me in my life, uh, you know, have a better credit, use credit karma, you know, and, and have those sensitive and sometimes arguments with my wife about 
money and credit and savings and retirement, stuff that I didn't think about before I got into this business um, because of the things that I see people doing. Okay. Uh, and it, and it's, it's helped me. Um, and it helps me help other people and be earnest and honest and forthcoming about um, how your decisions can really affect your your retirement eventually. And that's really what it's all about. And it doesn't make sense when you're in the 30s because you're young and vibrant and it's not so important, you know, going out, maybe watching a game and having drinks with your friends and go sailing or whatever it is. But when you turn 40, all of a sudden things start clicking and then the kids are around and then you're talking about a house and it. Things change in retirement. All of a sudden, becomes a really big word in in, in your vocabulary. Yeah, I kind of want to go back to uh, the example I was kind of leading you down on. It, I know someone that you know fell in love with a guy, and they did a lot of drugs, and they kind of enjoyed their life kind of thing for a while, and they kind of blew off. And when it, things didn't work out, and she started rebuilding her self esteem. She basically went to college. So you and I went to college at age eighteen. Um, when you're twenty five and going to college. You only work from age 20 to 60. Um, so you've thrown away five working years. And sometimes it's the difference between women and men that women get pregnant and have babies. Um, I know someone that has worked in the tech industry and made good six figures. Um, not actually good six figures. Um, she made 85000 And now poverty in some parts of poverty in some parts of the Bay Area is considered $105,000 or less. Um, and that's that just strikes me as like, whoa. Um What's funny about that number is that it it changes some of the um, down payment assistance programs. But what's funny is that you can qualify for the down payment assistance program, but but with that income, you still qualify for the house or for the mortgage. So that's it. So So I I think what you're going at is that people here in the Bay Area, in order to buy a house, in order to achieve that, I guess, so-called dream, um, you actually have to start early. And you have to go to college and, and by wasting those five, six, seven years can can force you to make just bigger decisions down the road that may not end up with, with a house. I remember when I first got to the Bay Area, I was like, I'm going to see San Francisco. And I've spent a little bit more money in San Francisco than I should have. Um, and I started doing this show, um, you know, 20 years ago. I met one couple who came to a seminar. And she was like a striking redhead. You know how redheads sometimes just stand out? I married a redhead. She was striking redhead. Like she had that kind of Irish skin combination with redhead. So she's a fiery one. And um, her husband worked for LinkedIn. Not LinkedIn. Open Table. And then he worked for LinkedIn. She had two kids from a previous bad marriage. He had a kid from a previous marriage. And he was making $77,000 or $80,000 in San Jose. I'm like, you got to leave. I got an update from her recently. Her and her husband and three kids live in um, Charleston, South Carolina. And they're like, we love it. Like, the tech job here goes a lot further than the tech job there. And she's always going to be a stay-at-home mom. She just she wasn't educated enough to contribute much to a family. So, anyway, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to start thinking about and start pushing people in so that, you know, parents can be a little bit more responsible with their kids and say, okay, it's cute that you get married at 21, but... Think about career too, or it's cute that you're, you know, dropping out of college and at age 18 and touring the world. But when you're 35, you probably won't have enough for a down payment on a house. Um, it's just things some people don't think, think about. So anyway, I'm so off topic. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. And that was an example of someone who migrated out of the area.
Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I think so, too. So, um, Especially when, when like a place like Charleston uh, has so much land around it, and, and you may not have this, the, the constraints of uh, the commute like we do here. And it might make more sense where you could live 30 miles away and actually get to work in 30 minutes. Um, and that's going to be appealing to a lot more people as um, these what we call second-tier cities are growing and growing and growing. 800-516-1220 to each calls in the air. If Alex, if you're still there, we'll get to you in the next break. 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220, KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Join me now. Talk a little markets. Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, it's an odd day for us, which is telling us it's the holiday period. Holiday period telling me it's the end of the year. What are we seeing as we cruise towards 2018? Well, uh, we've seen uh, clearly another good year for the stock market here uh, as we move toward 2018. Now, if we want to talk like real current events, the market is acting up a little bit here uh, over the last few days, uh, seemingly getting a little bit concerned about the the fate of tax reform plan, uh, and it's also uh, starting to turn its attention to some uh, worrisome indicators, such as a flattening yield curve. And so you're starting to see a new narrative emerge here uh, that revolves around this uh, idea that perhaps economic growth will not live up to its perceived potential, and that's kind of slowed down the market's uh, bullish enthusiasm here of late and uh, has capped the, the gains that we have been seeing, uh, uh, con- you know, continuing to persist throughout this year. <laughs> it does feel a little bit like the market is losing some steam and cooling off, um, taking a break. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It does, you know, and I think everyone needs to also take into account at this juncture when you see uh, the market back up here that it had such a fantastic run here uh, over the last several months. I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, the S&P 500, uh, you know, for instance, over the last three months is up 4%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 6%. Um, you know, the Russell 2000 up 6% over the last three months. And then the S&P 500 information technology sector, that's up 10%. Percent over the last three months, so so these these moves have certainly set things up uh, for for some some profit taking. You had such a, a big run in a short amount of time, and of course, when you have some headline drivers like we're seeing recently uh, that make things sound a little more worrisome than they did three, two, one month ago. Um, you get that tendency to go ahead and take some money off the table and, and de-risk a little bit here. So the Senate tax bill seems to be not dead on arrival, but I, I, I hate going into politics. I hate just even playing around with politics, living in the Bay Area. But how important do you think policymaking is going to be to 2018 returns on stock markets? Is now a time to say, you know, politically speaking, uh, we should take some money off the table? Is now a time to be thinking that maybe it does get pushed through and maybe there is cause for optimism? Well, our contention is certainly that there's been a lot of good news priced into the stock market already, and that would include the potential passage of a tax reform plan. Uh, 
Uh, it also includes uh, the persistence of low interest rates uh, as well as the continuation of strong earnings growth. That's why you have a, a PE multiple in the S&P 500 that's at quite a you know sizable premium to its 10-year historical average. So, so you, uh, market participants are expecting a lot of positive things to unfold. So if this tax reform plan does not come to fruition uh, in the manner that a lot of market participants are expecting, then you should see things back up a little bit and some of that uh, premium taken out of the market here. But at the end of the day, Rob, I mean, the important drivers, the most important driver for the stock market is earnings growth. And if you continue to see uh, you know, economic activity picking up, earnings growth continuing to pick up, and interest rates either remaining low or rising at a very deliberate pace, uh, the stock market can continue to, to hang in here uh, uh, in the sense that it, it it doesn't necessarily have to have to collapse. It doesn't mean it's going to go uh, to the moon either, uh, but it would still find some support with the persistence of low interest rates and continued earnings growth. So if you were to get tax reform uh, in the market's mind, that's kind of just like a, a cherry on top of, uh, of a pretty tasty ice cream sundae that it's been feasting on all year already. <laughs> That's well well said, well said for sure. Now, I start my morning every day with your page one column, and part of your page one column today mentions a little bit talk of retail sales. And I bring this up because it's very difficult for the average person to have a good feel for this. One headline on Yahoo says retail sales were better than expected two months in a row. And then I get into like the details of yours, your comment on retail sales, and it just increased two-tenths of a percent. Where are we at as a nation as far as consuming and buying and helping the stock market and helping the economy? Well, you know, I think as a nation, you know, consumer spending activity is is okay. It could be stronger, and it's not stronger because you're not seeing uh, uh, higher wage growth, really. Uh, and that's been a really key missing ingredient, not only for the Federal Reserve, uh, but certainly in terms of the consumer spending capacity. So, uh, so once you see you know real income growth pick up, uh, you should see stronger levels of consumer spending activity. But all that said, uh, you still have have seen you know moderate increases in consumer spending activity help support you know three percent GDP growth that we've seen of late. That's also been paired with a, a decent pickup in business investment growth. So, in terms of the retail sales report for October, uh, yes, the headlines themselves seem to be somewhat disappointing because they pointed to a, a clear deceleration in retail sales growth you know, versus the month of September. But what we have to remember is that the month of September was also helped tremendously by a big boost in gasoline station and building equipment and materials supply sales, which were directly related to the impact of, of the hurricane. And so you saw that, that basically pull back here in October. And when you get you know, kind of beneath the surface of things, retail sales activity was not all that bad in October. In fact, you saw a number of increases across a number of discretionary spending categories. Uh, and so that's a good thing. So you still continue to have retail spending activity on an upward track. Um, but granted, the headline itself looked a little bit uh, uh, disappointing relative to what we saw last month. Is there anything that you're working on for your end-of-the-year forecast that we should be aware of? Uh, not not so much directly related to that end of the year forecast, but something you know I've been looking into and will continue to look into is this question of what is going on with the yield curve. You know why, in fact, is it flattening? And uh, and one of the uh, ideas that I think will start to pop up as well is that 
you see the two-year, the, the front of the yield curve, continue to, uh, to weaken, and that's driving yields up. And that is a reflection of this expectation that the Federal Reserve is going to go ahead and raise interest rates. But at the same time, you have yields at the back end coming down. And I think one of the notions that will start to creep up here, uh, which we haven't heard a lot lately, is perhaps maybe that uh, drop at the back end of the curve in terms of the Treasury yield uh, could be uh, a little bit of an early indication on the market's part that it worries about the Fed making a policy mistake, meaning that it raises rates perhaps too much too soon and uh, and chokes off this economic recovery effort, uh, which would be a great disappointment because that ultimately should mean that you're going to see uh, lower than expected earnings growth as well. And that, again, would cap some of the uh, potential upside for 2018 if that happens to be the case. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. As always, insightful. Um, ideas into the market. Um, Briefing.com is a great provider of uh, information to both domestic and international markets that is, in my opinion, non-biased. Great way to start your day with his page one column on top of it. If you play around with Briefing's various tier levels, uh, whether it be the professional or the standard packages, you can start with page one. You can go to the big picture, the market view, swing trading, um, the Fed brief. There's so much content there for you to consume as a purveyor of information on Wall Street. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. The yield curve is a tough thing to explain on Wall Street. I think Patrick does a pretty nice job of explaining it. Um, It's just, it's not a fun thing to talk about. The Senate tax bill, a little bit more entertaining and a little bit more, oh, we see how that relates to us. Copper prices have been retreating recently, telling us that maybe there's not a lot of industrial demand going on out there. I live in a fake world. I live in the Bay Area, and just driving up 101 every morning to get into San Francisco, I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of demand for cranes, there's a lot of demand for construction. But that, too, will go through a cycle. Oil prices are telling us a little something. They got stronger as the year uh, hit its middle months and towards the uh, driving towards the end of the year. They held up, and they held up okay, Um, telling us that oil's probably not problematic on the downside, Um, so it's something that we'll continue to to digest and see uh, commodities and and energy as a uh, thought of economic activity. Mark Cuban was on CNBC recently talking about his investment style. Now, Mark Cuban, as you all know, from Shark Tank, right? Um, he's also someone that you may or may not know started a company many, 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 many years ago, broadcast.com, which started to change the world of radio and television forever. I, I don't want to give him too much credit, but he is a billionaire and he should get some credit. Um, what does he do with his money? He was recently asked a question and, um, it's pretty boring. He says cash, treasuries mini bonds, stuff that I've had forever. And uh, he was further asked about that, and he said, well, Amazon's my biggest holding now, and Netflix is second. And, uh, you know, those are two very sexy stocks. Those are two great stocks. And he follows up that statement by saying, just because of their growth, I've had them for a long time. I don't switch things around. I don't move around a lot. Um, and that makes sense because Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors of all time, said if you would not, if you're not willing to own a stock for ten years, don't even think about owning it for ten minutes. 
a lot of stuff starts to come together for me. I'm not sure if it does for you. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. It's Rob Black Show. Don't forget, I always have seminars coming up. Got one coming up uh, very soon. You can find out more about that at Rob Black Show. Get in for free using code Radio25. It's Radio25. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. The headline news is discouraging on a day-by-day basis. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein or a shooting in an elementary school, it's just getting to be a little bit heavy. Working in television news, it feels pronounced. So a lot of the stories that are out there that feel good on Wall Street sometimes that filter through me and filter into the world um, are stupid things. Like Amazon announced today that it's going to reduce prices of additional groceries tied towards holiday staples. With Thanksgiving right around the corner, you're like, ooh, any Whole Foods customer will be able to purchase organic or non-antibiotic turkeys at a reduced price of $3.49 a pound or $2.49 per pound, respectively, whether it's the anti-non-antibiotics or organic. And the seasonal price cuts are in addition to markdowns at Whole Foods made at Am- after the Amazon acquisition. So when you discount popular holiday food items, it's, it's key to get people into your stores. And when you get people in your stores, you're able to hopefully keep your fingers crossed that they'll buy other goods. It's like the idea of gift cards. I'm not a fan of gift cards. I know you're saying Rob Black hates gift cards. Yes, Rob Black hates gift cards. I think it's a lazy present, and I think most Americans ask for them and want them. Two-thirds of Americans actually ask for them. Um, I hate candy canes. But on top of hating candy canes, I hate gift cards. Santa Claus, I'm okay with. Christmas music, Christmas music, eh, eh, eh. So gift cards, though, 61% of Americans hope to get them. 69% of women have gift cards on their list of things that they want. Gift cards go wrong. Six to ten percent never ever get redeemed, which basically means you're using your cash, your money, your credit, and you're buying something that the store never ever has to honor. Now that number's actually gone down in recent years as people have become a little bit better at using their cards. Maybe the internet helped a little bit of people uh, punching in codes and things like that. But a lot are forgotten, some are lost, some are just never, ever used. So retailers love gift cards because of that fact alone. 75% of consumers overspend the value of their gift card as well. So if you get someone a gift card, and i got to be careful what I say so I don't offend anyone, but sometimes the gift card values, for like a Starbucks, might be $5 or $10 and if you go into a Starbucks, it's tough to walk out for under $5, right? Now, again, that's where we as consumers are once again empowering the retailers to take advantage of us. I guess it is what it is, right? Digital gift cards are even weirder to me. 
So I'm not a big fan of going into like a Safeway and seeing the wall of gift cards that you can choose. I'm like, that's a lot of plastic. We don't really need that much plastic, do we? But digital gift cards to me are just like, whoa, you just get an email. And that's quite shocking to me. Retail sales, by the way, uh, rose more than expected for the second straight month. But it wasn't very much. And you look at retail sales and you go, ooh, Apple just started selling a new phone. And if I turned on the news, I saw a lot of people stand in line to get Apple products. Retail sales rose at a solid pace last month as consumers bought more cars for insurance clothes. But it wasn't a great number. Retail sales increased just two-tenths of 1%. Americans are spending more freely as confidence in the economy has jumped. Americans are boosting their spending, but incomes are rising only modestly. So the, the incomes rising modestly is a problem. That's pushed more people to borrow to finance their purchases. Credit card debt. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird world we live in. Because a lot of times we'll say, well, economy's okay for me, but I hear from my neighbors it's not good, right? The proportion of Americans falling behind on their credit card bills rose to 4.6%. The share of auto loans in 90 days or more overdue rose to 2.4% from 2.3%. Statistically, not very interesting. But the trend is troubling. And I think that's something that we as a nation will come to pay. Uh, When does the bill come due? I don't know. We've had a great bull market. It's been fantastic. It's been fun. It's, it's, it's actually kind of cool to watch my bottom line grow. But I'm also working in financial news, and I see credit card debt growing. I see student loan debt growing, and I don't want to be a Pollyanna. More than half of Americans have not gotten a bump in salary in the last 12 months. So there's a term called inflation, and... Whew, I don't know if you watch any of the horror movies out there with like Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger, but inflation is the scariest thing to me. So we have a tight labor market that's making it harder for employers to find workers, employees that have more education, typically have higher incomes. That's the thought, right? They're more likely to get a raise, so that education does pay off. But that education's also putting us in more and more student debt. Alright. Choose your college major wisely because it's expensive. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Don't forget, big event coming up. You can sign up for it at Rob Black Show. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.